In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by author Kat Wordsworth to talk about all things doubt, including the misconceptions we can have about it, the way it is perceived and navigated by many spiritual communities, and the opportunity it offers us for growth. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 16 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today on the episode, I am joined by a very special guest. I am joined by Kat Wordsworth, who is a couple different things we'll get into. She is primarily for this episode an author of a pretty new book called Let's Talk About Doubt, and we will talk about that in just a moment. But first off, I just want to say, Kat, thank you for being here. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm all right. Of course. Happy to be here. I ask this question to every guest, so I want to ask you this first. I want to give you a couple minutes to give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to church and your faith journey, and lead that into maybe your book and your work on your book. Yeah. So you can probably tell from the accent. I am from England. I'm from a part Perhaps. of... Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I'm originally from London, which is, of course, where all English people are from. Um, <laughs> but I currently live in York. So not New York, but York. Um, I'm married. I've got two young kids. So my life is a juggling act at best. Um, and I can't juggle. But I, I get through <laughs> get through most days. Um my faith background, well, it is a story of many twists and turns, I think. It started off in the same way that a lot of a lot of peoples have. I am from a very loving Christian home. I've I think this is a quote from the book. I had perfect attendance at church from the womb onwards. Like I've I've always yep. been part of church. It's just been part of the fabric of my life. Um, you know, I ticked all the Christian boxes, church, youth groups, youth church, Christian festivals, got heavily involved at university and then then went straight from university into working for a church. So, yes, I, I really did do everything that you were supposed to do. Um, underneath all of that, of course, there was a slightly different story being told. I think I'd from probably mid-teen years just been aware of this nagging little voice saying you don't seem to feel the same way as the other people around you sometimes it's as though they're speaking about something that you don't understand and about someone that you've not met yet um at that point I didn't really name that as doubt I just assumed that at some point something would happen to make everything click into place it didn't and as that nagging voice got louder and louder, it, it eventually, you know, led to just kind of a full-blown crisis of faith, really. Um, it happened while I was working at the church and I was on a conference away and I just looked around and thought, I can't, I can't pretend anymore. I can't, I can't do this to myself. I just, yeah, I have to let this out and I have to confront this. 
And I suppose the reason why I wrote the book is because of what happened next in my story. So I'd, I'd had this crisis. I'd realised that it was doubt. It had been doubt all along. But I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to talk to. Hmm. I had never heard anyone speaking about doubt in church and I'd been there every week for 21 years at that point. So I was just hit with this massive wall of kind of shame and guilt and fear and, oh, you know, it's it's not talked about, so it must be really bad, so I need to keep quiet about this. So the book really is my antidote to that. It's me trying to share my story really for the simple purpose of letting people know that they're not alone. You know, it's, yeah. it is something that is, I think one of the first sentences in the book is kind of doubt is normal, but not often normalized and common, but not often communal. You know, this sense that it's something that we all, well, lots of us go through. So why aren't we talking about it? Because if we talked about it more, then the kind of negative sides of what happened to me might not have happened and doubt could have just been you know a force for good that's amazing i love that um and let me say first off the book is incredible i thank you i, I told you this just before we started recording but i have read i mean a whole bunch of books like this in these genres since i've written mine and wanted to learn other perspectives yeah. and this is the closest one or the one that most closely resembled my own experiences mm my own even the way I wrote my thought processes and how it came <laughs> on the page it reminded me a lot of how I would have done that and and yeah. so I loved it no I'm kidding oh, well, no. thank you but no but it, it's my book is called the jumble of crumpled papers and it ref, it refers to that state that you find yourself in where you have all these crumpled papers of ideas that you believed with such certainty and then now you're questioning and you in one of your chapters specifically but throughout the entire book you explain that exact same idea differently but the exact same process so well and so similarly that it felt like we were I was reading through the same brain almost it was really <laughs> uncanny but also very resonant <laughs> and very very validating and I love that we have similar causes with that too just wanting people to know hey these things we're going through they're not fun no but you're not alone and it's deeply reassuring for someone else to be able to understand my wavelength. Um, and of yes. course, of course, I can't pretend that a part of writing the book wasn't for my own benefit. Um, it didn't sure. actually start as something that I thought anyone would ever read. Um, <laughs> it came about while we were in the COVID lockdown, I think the second one here. And yeah. I was homeschooling and very small children who were learning to read and I'm not a teacher I don't have the patience for that I was also yeah. cramming in my work in the afternoon trying to kind of keep on top of that and be a good employee and I needed something that was just for me otherwise I was hmm. going to lose myself um it's probably not probably not a recommended way to approach writing a book to kind of <laughs> lock yourself up in a room in the evenings during a national lockdown but it just it just poured out. I just it was like lancing a wound. It just it needed mm. to get out. And it was around that time that I started um, my Instagram account. And I suppose I just because people seem to connect with what I posted on Instagram, it just gave me the nudge to think, actually, no, this this could help other people. There might be other people out there that are the same as me. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's a funny way to approach a book, but that's what happened. <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. I mean, you go through these experiences. At first, you do think, "Am I alone? Is this a weird thing? Mm. Is this not normal?" And then hearing those the, those initial responses, no matter where they come from, gives you that validation of, "Oh, yeah. okay, I'm not alone." And then that's enough as it is. Then to then be a person that takes that step and goes, "Well, in that case, let me create something that people can yeah. resonate with," is an extra yeah. step that's pretty valiant. It's pretty great. It. I mean, it's hilarious. I spent over a decade keeping doubt as a secret. Some of mm. my closest friends had no idea because I was yeah. just too ashamed. And now it's in book form for anyone to read. Now everyone goes, oh, Kat, that, the doubt lady, right? Yeah, literally. I feel <laughs> like I need a badge saying. <laughs> the Professional doubt doubter. Yeah, no. literally. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I can't really explain that shift other than I just, I don't feel ashamed of it anymore. And, Mm. you know, I spent, spent so long worrying what other people would think of me. And then one day I just thought, well, what could they say to me that would be worse than what I've already said about myself? Like I've already, Mm. I've already worried that the things they might say are true. So what power have they got over me? I can just say it and it might help people. So Yeah. If I'm my harshest critic, then what someone else have on me? Absolutely. And there's a, there's a, a freedom that definitely comes with that. Yeah, I think there's a freedom that comes with anything, whether it's doubt or any other kind of major issue in your life. Once you've kind of ridden that to the bottom and got out of it, then there is a certain freedom to that, definitely. Yeah. So for those listening, if you haven't caught on, today's topic <laughs> is, is doubt. Shocker. I am the doubt girl. <laughs> The Doubt Girl is here with us in-house, now, in studio, and this is following episode, or chapter 16 of my book, and I mean, our experiences, like I already said, line up pretty parallel in this time, in this period and of our lives, and for context, in my own story, the, the, the time where I first started confronting the idea of doubt personally was at the time where I had gone through being born and raised in the church, I had never doubted really anything in my life. I've had, I've had questions about things, but I never got to the point where I doubted things because I think I was given things since I was a child so certainly mm. that they were just the foundational structures of what I believed to be truth. So I never questioned that that pillar of truth itself was maybe not true or did I believe or what did I believe about it? And so once I realized this church was not where I wanted to be and ended up leaving, then I was confronted with, okay, if the things that I learned with such certainty in this church, some were not healthy, now I have a lot of questions and doubts mm. and uncertainties about a whole lot of other things that I learned there since the day I was born. And that's now where your book comes in mm. and tackles this, this very large idea of kind of a, a simple, it's, it's a simple idea that goes really deep, I think. Mm. And can become very complicated. Yeah. It's, it's deceivingly complicated. And much of that, I believe, is because the shroud we put over it to not talk about it, which yeah. makes it more complicated than it needs to be. So I want to ask preliminarily here, what are your overall views of doubt? Maybe what were they before you processed all this? 
And what are your views on doubt now after having written the book and kind of processed further along with it? Do you see it as a good or bad thing, healthy or unhealthy? What maybe are the good aspects? What could be some negative aspects if there are? Give us whatever you think. Yeah, it's, it's a big one, isn't it? Um, I mean, my starting point before, before it happened to me and while it was happening to me was that doubt was bad. You know, it, it was a sign that something was, was very wrong. And, you know, I, I worried for years that it meant that I wasn't a real Christian. You know, if, oh. if I was a real Christian, why would I be questioning these things? And I've grappled and wrestled, wrestled with whether doubt is a good or bad thing, because as it turns out, going through all of this, you know, actually owning up to my doubt and wrestling through it has strengthened my faith in a way that I wouldn't have imagined possible, even mm. though I still actively doubt. Like, I'm not talking about this in hindsight. That's yeah. still a very real part of my day-to-day story but I still would say that doubt has strengthened my faith and I think I think one of the issues with not talking about doubt is that we've kind of lost our vocabulary for discussing it so Mm -hmm. we often use the word to mean all sorts of different things we could mean it to use you know questioning wrestling struggling but also you know struggling with unanswered prayer or disappointment or just yeah it's become this massive umbrella term for things all of which I think are often just a sign of somebody engaging with their faith and taking it seriously and being curious and Mm -hmm. you know not willing to just stop but to keep seeking and keep exploring what faith means and what faith looks like and what following God actually looks like. I think the problems come in when doubt gets caught up with the fear that it means you failed or shame or guilt or Mm. isolation or if it just is stuck in your own head and there's no one you can talk to about it. I think then it can become, as it did for me, a very, very destructive force, especially if you're starting from the point of thinking that you know, you have to be sure to be safe or saved. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes I hear people talking about doubt as if it's only ever a good thing for your faith. Sometimes I hear people talking about doubt as if it's sure. only ever a bad thing for your faith. And I just, life isn't that simple, is it? I think it's a both and. Yeah, I think if, it, only. if only. I think it, yeah, it really depends on your own experience and your own support networks. But, but at the end of the day, someone really grappling someone really engaging someone really who cares enough to take it seriously and really want to seek after truth we might label that as doubting but is that is that not a relationship is that not what we're supposed to be Mm. doing you know seeking with our whole hearts seeking with our whole minds and questioning is is our minds isn't it and i think if if anything causes you to learn more and to delve deeper and to take it more seriously, is that, is that not a good thing? You saying that, I, I believe, and this is where your book comes in as a tool, I believe, is one of the, maybe not the only, but one of the primary 
determining factors of whether doubt can be healthy or destructive, mm. I think, is whether it is able to be expressed openly yeah. or kept under wraps. 100%. It is about... And left to fester. Yeah, community. Yeah, fester is exactly the word. It, it festered in me because it got infected with, with yeah. shame and fear. Yeah, it really, it really took over. I mean, read the books, find out all the gory details. Exactly, to read. But, yeah. but I think you nailed it, though. Shame and fear, those yeah. two elements. Yeah. I think, I don't believe maybe doubt is, I don't think doubt is the damaging factor. I think it is that it can act as a doorway to fear and shame. Yeah. When the person experiencing it isn't encouraged or led yeah. to seek it and lead to work through it and process it, because I believe doubt, doubting is just questioning. And questioning, I believe, I believe God gave us the ability to doubt, to question, yeah. because that is how we seek deeper understanding and growth. Yeah. I think it's all about having safe communities where you can be yes. vulnerable and talk honestly. And some of the most damaging things that happened to me over the years were where I finally plucked up the courage to, you know, go and talk to someone and say, this is what's happening. Please, could you help me? And just being fobbed off with the most yeah. ridiculous things. There's a list of them in the book. But some of the highlights are just the classic things like, well, have you, have you tried praying? And, you know, have you, you know, I didn't think of that one. Have you tried reading your Bible? What about the Psalms? They're, they're yeah. a bit miserable in places. Have you tried reading those? It's like, no, it, it's been 10 years, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. I'll write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Having, gaining the courage is, that's yeah. a, and when someone's dealing with doubt, when you are able to gain the courage to bring that up, especially when you're not in an environment where that's fostered, which are many yeah. environments, unfortunately. And then you're met with something like that. That can be so damaging. Yeah. To then, to then be knocked back is yeah. Was literally knocked me back years. Like because it, right. it would take another few years for me to summon up the courage again to talk to someone else, and then be met with something else. Like over the over the time I was kind of actively in the kind of destruction cycle, there were only a few people that were helpful in any way which is and those people i'm sure stand out to you those people really made a big difference in the end the community i found was in books and then on instagram which is ridiculous i shouldn't have had to have turned to social media to find people that made me feel seen but yeah and think like unfortunate but then also thank god they were there yeah definitely simultaneously yeah it's a it's a um, poisoned chalice, isn't it? Social media sometimes. It's good and bad. Yeah. Both and. <laughs> and you, I mean, you're touching on this. I think one of the big, maybe, lies is that faith is the opposite of doubt. Mm. Where doubting is not faithful. I hear that. I've heard that a lot. And that's just, I don't think it's not, I don't, this is not true. I think doubt is a doorway to deeper faith. And you have a very, I love the, this metaphor in your book. Can you talk about a little bit about or explain the idea of the, the cracks in the, uh, the Japanese art? Oh, yeah. yeah there was so a name for this. I forget the exact uh, name. Kin, kintsugi? I think that's how you pronounce kintsugi? it. Kintsugi? Okay. Yeah. Um, so kintsugi is the, the Japanese art form. I'm probably going to get this very wrong. Where if you've got broken pottery, you, you mend it, but sealing the cracks with gold. 
So the cracks mm. are still visible, but within the tradition, the piece of pottery is then even more beautiful than it was before it was cracked because it's got these seams of gold running through. And I think I really took that to heart because it, it felt like doubt had opened huge cracks in my life but those cracks had allowed faith to kind of seep deeper into my heart so it felt like they had been refilled with gold in a way still visible like the doubt was still there it made a lasting mark upon me but hopefully I'd ended up in a better position than I had to start with but that's that's one of those those hard metaphors where I think a lot of time elapses between those two things like doubt opened up cracks insert period of 10 years then it allowed faith to seep deeper and I think what drives me to talk about it is to try and shorten that time period for other people by not letting shame get in just hearing someone else say it's not just you can be deeply deeply powerful sometimes so yeah what I'm trying to do is to shorten that metaphor for people so that it can be meaningful, more meaningful and less painful. I, I love when I read that, I was like, oh, that's such a good metaphor because it's mm. really, really true. I, d- I do intend to um, to break a pot one day and seal it. You can buy um, kits. Oh, you can't? <laughs> yeah, you can. Essentially, I haven't yet because um, I have two children who are um, 10 and 7. And I do not want to set that example. I can just imagine the scene. You're going to have a lot of broken dishes when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, they would really take that one to heart. You're going to hear it in the other room and go, oh, no. Yeah. I know exactly what they're doing. They're doing Kintsugi again. Yeah. Uh, He's doing Kintsugi again? Come on, guys. We talked about this. But, Mom, you said it was more beautiful. No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I, I want to kind of flip the equation. The opposite of doubt is certainty. So I just asked you kind of your views on doubt. What are your views on certainty? In your eyes, you know, what are the positive, negative qualities or outcomes of having a mindset of complete certainty? It's a really tricky one. I get asked this quite a lot. And I think what I have to start with every time is that none of us are ever in any position to judge someone else's faith, no matter how they feel it. Like I've got friends, good friends who are genuine and lovely people who do feel certain about it. And that's just their story. I think the difficulty with certainty is when you use it interchangeably with faith. Mm. And, you know, I've I've had people kind of question me and say, how can you be a doubtful Christian? You know, that's uh, oxymoron. Is that the right use of the word? Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're mutually Mm -hmm. exclusive. You can't be a doubtful Christian. You're either... You either believe or you don't. You're either saved or you're not. You have to be sure, you know, you have to commit to this thing. It's like, well, I respectfully, in a very non-confrontational English way, disagree. And and partly because of the position I've landed in, that I do feel like my faith is deeper than it ever was. And I do still doubt. I've had to hold that tension. So it's forced me to expand my definition of faith. And get to a point where I'm saying to these people who say, oh, there's no place for you if you feel like that. It's like, well, what would you prefer? If I don't fit into your boxes of how you understand things, do you you want me to leave? Like, I I thought you were trying to get people into this, not push people away. And I gently try to remind them or point out, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but 
it seems to me that Jesus did all he could, you know, seized every opportunity to include people. He wasn't looking for any reason possible to exclude people. And that includes doubt. You know, when Thomas doubted, Jesus physically moved towards him, didn't recoil in disgust. You know, when the father with the ill child, literally to Jesus's face, said, help my unbelief as well as my faith, the child was still healed. Like, it, it doesn't seem that certainty was the deal breaker for Jesus. It seems that he cares about our honesty and our willingness to approach him and try and keep trying and show up every day, keeping on trying, keeping on seeking. Yeah. And it's it's hard, isn't it? I think that's that's where I've landed. I know that some people really, really kind of angrily take against the idea of ever being certain because it's kind of, they see it as almost being stuck and being closed sure. and not pushing forward and not continuing to seek. Again, but maybe there are some people like that, that that isn't what I've seen in other people. It's very dangerous to kind of make generalizations about anyone's faith. Um, I can see that that would be a risk for some people. Sure. Yeah, it's we're all trying our best at the end of the day. We're all trying our best to, to work out what it means and what it looks like. And I think at the end of the day, that's what matters. There's there's enough room for all of us to try and do this, um, regardless yes. of how we feel about it. You mentioned the idea of you having to expand your definition of faith. And in your book, you talk about faith not being all-encompassing, where you don't believe all of it or none of it. It's a spectrum. And I, I think it's very true, where you're always, at any point in time, I think there are always things that you believe more than others. Mm. There are things you doubt more than other things. And I think it's always, and that's, that's the deal with a relationship with, with God, with Jesus, even with, with the Bible, if you will. It's all these things, so many nuanced ideas and beliefs and things and constantly working through them to gain a, a fuller understanding, a bigger picture yeah. or a more complete picture. And I just think it's to make that idea taboo and look down upon, it can hinder, and it very much does hinder many people's mm-hmm. organic relationship because that is what a relationship is. It's, it's wrestling with things. It's growing deeper. It's, it's not static. It's no. moving. Yeah. And I think, you know, regardless of, of where you are with what you're struggling with, what you're not struggling with, I'd say that, for me at least, faith is the fact that you're continuing, the fact that you're carrying on every day, making the decision to keep trying. That's what faithfulness, stubborn faithfulness, looks like. Yeah. And in my view, people, I'm sure, will disagree. But um, that's what I've come to, that at the bottom line, faith for me is sometimes the only thing I've got is that I long for it to be true. I long for it to be real. Recognizing just that kind of rock bottom still as an expression of faith of some sort, that I really desperately do want it to be true, that having that in place 
regardless of what I'm struggling with, has kind of allowed me to unfreeze from all the shame and get yeah. unstuck from all of the fear of it all and hope that Jesus honours that commitment and that faithfulness instead of, you know, being able to tick down a list of doctrines and beliefs that he can he can look well, you know, she's struggling, but she's really trying. And yeah. the, the English she's authentic about it. Yeah, the English love an underdog. So that yeah. is that is what I have to hope. And yeah. You know, I think Jesus does present as though, you know, doubt is not this absolute black mark against your head that means he will never come anywhere near you. Gospels mm. show us the exact opposite and moving towards people. So I have to hope that the same is true for me. Yeah, that's well said. You were kind of touching on on how your experiences with doubt kind of influenced your view of faith. How have your experiences with doubt influenced your overall views and ideas of God, of church, of faith, those kind of things? I mean, that's a whole book in itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I suppose to put it bluntly like doubt stripped my faith bare like I really wasn't left with very much which was obviously deeply painful but also kind of let me start again start almost afresh even though I was starting afresh with the kind of 20-year history of being in church so not starting sure. afresh but you get what I mean like taking uh -huh. the opportunity to work out what I what I did actually believe and as part of that process and as part of the book and as part of all of this I've spent so long trying to unpick like what what led to my doubts in the first place and there were many factors in that but one of the big things which I've then had to change my ideas about God in is just that I had really really um unrealistic but very black and white expectations of what a life what life as a Christian would look like and hmm. tracking those back I realized that kind of my faith had been built by kind of childhood picture books where God is this comforting mother tucking you up in bed at night where there were pictures of you know prayer as being as easy as picking up the phone and talking to God or talking to your best sure. friend next to you or, you know, this idea that God was like a helicopter parent. Um, I don't know whether that's an expression. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it is. Oh, okay, oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Um, like literally hovering over every step of my life mm -hmm. to direct every step and catch me physically if I would fall. You know, I, I had very, very strong expectations of what it, it would all look like. And then, of course, I grew up and life isn't black and white life is mostly lived within the nuance in the gray and those childhood expectations just completely crushed and couldn't couldn't bear the weight of adulthood yeah so that I mean that in itself and I think I pick apart some of those specific areas in the book that I've had to tackle well okay if if prayer isn't as easy as talking to God on the telephone then what is it and what does it mean and what does it mean when there's a voice in my head saying are you just talking to yourself and 
what yeah. does God's guidance in your life look like? And what does blessing look like if bad things are still happening to you? So, you know, really simple questions with really easy answers. And I suppose the, the point about all of this is I'm still unpicking this. I'm still working it out. That is a life's work, isn't it? The point now is that I am able to do that without fear blinding me. I'm able to do mm. that with the grounding that I hope God is pleased that I'm doing that, that I am seeking and trying to to um, dig deeper. So yeah, I suppose I suppose to summarise, faith has made me relook at everything about God, um, yeah. everything about what I understood about faith, um, everything about what church looks like and mm-hmm. what commu- what what true community should look like and. It's very easy to kind of look look at that when you've kind of been on the wrong side of that sometimes and think, well, how could we do this better? And what do I need from church? And so, yeah, everything, everything, Austin, everything. Oh, that's great. I love your, I believe you're definitely right in saying that God appreciates that because I think he sees our heart and mm. he sees that your heart wants it. Yeah. And there, I think there are many people. And I'm not, it's not comparison. I'm not, you can't judge the people, but there are people just as a fact in life that maybe are very, maybe, maybe certain, maybe are just in church all the time and their heart's not in it. They don't really want it, but they're there for whatever reason. I think God would much prefer somebody who is struggling with these doubts and yeah. constantly asking questions and doing all this stuff and, and stripping everything back to the basics and having to rebuild that because their heart really desires it authentically. I think he I mean, he loves both people equally, but I think he yeah. appreciates that to a greater extent, maybe, the effort. And, I mean, I'm thinking about the, the idea of stripping everything back. Mm. One thing you said in the book, which I resonated with personally, this is the exact same thing for me, and I've, I've told people this when they ask <laughs> me. They'll, they'll ask me, okay, when, you, when, you're, when you're back doubting the, like the very simplest aspects of God or church or faith, what is the thing that, what was the, what was the first thing is like, no, my inward inclination is still that I believe that it's real. Like when you believe nothing else, what in you goes, no, like my authentic heart says, I believe that if I seek, it'll prove that that's true. And in your book, you talk about the fact that the simplest proof of God for you are the intricacies of life itself. And how everything is so exact and existence is so, the margin and percentage of everything being the way it is yeah is so small can you just expand on that idea yeah so in a in another life I would have loved to have been like a astrophysicist or something like I absolutely all of that stuff absolutely blows my mind and my dad was a physicist so yeah there has been a lot of books that's a field ripe for doubting uh, right in yeah yeah I think the the thought that caught me when doubt was at its worst was And it sounds ridiculous, but just this idea that I would sit wherever I was and zoom out in my mind and like go above myself and keep zooming out and zooming out until I would see that we were just this giant spinning marble spinning around in space, Mm -hmm. perfectly formed. But then I zoomed back down and like my eyes work in ridiculously complicated ways. And, you know, I just grown to humans and yeah yeah I just that kind of sense that the fact that the planet exists is ludicrous 
But then mm -hmm. the fact that life exists is ridiculous. And then the chances that humans exist and then are contemplating these things is just, yeah. I think I, I need to do a philosophy degree because um, it just, I absolutely love that sense of having kind of my mind blown by that perspective. And, yeah. you know, I think, I think I'd often torture myself with, oh, you know, you just want to believe in all of this God stuff because, you know, it's just, it's just like a fairy tale and it will just make life feel easier. You know, it's all too yeah. good to be true. And then one day I was just thinking, do you know what? It's it's already too good to be true. This is hmm. the chances that we are here now talking about this is so small that yeah. we're already living in a fairy tale. Yeah, I could talk about this for a long time, but that's essentially it. Just the just creation and nature, but also the universe and life and how intricately created we are and how it all works. Yeah. It's just just makes you stop sometimes. I mean, I, I love, because I mean, this has been my answer for people who've asked me the same thing. It's, it's look up and think yeah. about it. It's, it zooms out yeah. at such an extreme macro level. Yeah. And then you can zoom in to the extreme micro level. Yeah. And you said, okay, I'm pretty sure you said this, not somewhere else. You said that it takes more faith to believe that it was by chance than intentionally created that way did you say that i believe that was in your book something along the those lines but yes okay it's been said by far cleverer people than me yeah it, sure it yeah. takes and then it's the, the similar argument that it, it takes as much faith to be an atheist as it does to believe in a god sure. and i think it's i realized i haven't actually in a in a podcast about doubt said what my doubts were and i feel like it's yeah. an important one because my doubt was mm -hmm. the most taboo of all doubts which was you know questioning whether god was real it wasn't <gasps> i know Gasp. i know i've said it i've said it and that thunderbolt has not hit me but that is where it starts isn't it that's where yeah. for me for me stripping it back that 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 was something that i because if, if you don't believe that, if you're not if you don't know where you stand on that, then nothing yeah. else that you believe will believe, have you able to stand. It won't last. Yeah. But I think what I struggled with was, you know, obviously in those years, I read every book I could, which had doubt in the title. But lots of them didn't go that far. You know, they were talking mm -hmm. about doubts about different aspects of God's character or different doctrines or different ways of reading the Bible or different ways of being sure. in church and it felt like even within the stigma of doubt I had the worst the worst one you could possibly have and I think what's significant then about that zooming out and the world as a marble is that that it got me to that point it got me to the well there must be something then and from there, I could then look at, you know, all of the rest of the doubts. But it, it got me to the starting blocks. Yeah. And yeah, I just personally just thinking about the perfection of just the human body, just as one yeah. thing, and how small we are compared to the planet and ecosystem and blood cells and space and gravity yeah. to believe that that just happened yeah. by something. The fact that if we cut ourselves, it regrows. Yeah. It heals. Our body self heals. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that we have eyes that, that have these different lenses that can yeah. see these colors and yeah. I don't see some big explosion or big bang happening and that happening. Because it, it, it would take an architect intentionally, I believe, 
And so that, that, whenever I find myself just in these moments of just, if I sit alone in a room for a couple hours, and I just start thinking and get in my head. I'm like, man, is this, how far do I believe this? How much, like these doubts, I zoom out and go, wait. Yeah. It's so, for me, it's so much easier to believe that this was created by someone or by a being because it's impossible. Just stare at a tree and it has the same yeah. effect, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any one thing is yeah. impossible, and then they're all together in a perfectly working yeah. ecosystem yeah. and environment. But I resonate with that so deeply, so I love that you were talking mm. about that. So I want to ask you on a, because a lot of your book talks about, it's of course your individual journey, but then your, your navigation of that in your spiritual communities. Mm. What, from your experience, and from what you've learned and what you've processed, and having gone through doubt yourself and experienced that, what are some ways that churches and other Christians can better facilitate, navigate, and address doubt? I think it's really actually quite simple. Talk about it. Yeah. And not, well, maybe it's not that simple. Talk about it in a not condemning way. Talk about it in a, a way that acknowledges that it is really normal it's common. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible, terrible Christian. It's something that has happened to Christians throughout time immemorial. The Bible is full of people asking questions, you know, and talk about it enough that it helps not just the people who are currently experiencing it, but it helps people who have never experienced it if they then do, you know, that that vocabulary exists within the community that if people then start having questions, they think, oh, you know, I knew this might happen. I know who I can talk to. And I still fit in here. I still fit in. I'm not going to be ostracized for bringing this up. Like it's, this is part of it. Yeah, this is, this is just what faith includes sometimes. And I think a huge part of, I suppose, a slightly wider perspective on it is to make churches places where we're just honest about the mess sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's much more common to hear stories and testimonies from the front of people who've reached some kind of resolution in their story. And that's great. And that should be, um, that should have airtime. But also for the majority of people sat in the pews, they are living lives in the gray areas that haven't reached resolution. And what you need is someone modeling how to do that and how to um you know be stubbornly thought throughout all of that as well yeah and i think the modeling modeling it is is huge you know making sure that especially from the front but really in in every part of the church in age appropriate ways like i'm not sure not saying that kids need to hear the grim details of all of the gray bits of all the adults lives in the church but um yeah, making sure that there's just a kind of intentional culture of honesty and vulnerability. Mm. And yeah, at, at the very basic level, making church a place where you can bring your whole self, not a place where you need to suppress anything or like mm-hmm. pretend something isn't going on. You shouldn't have to walk into a church and kind of plaster a fake smile on your face. It should be the place you go to drop that smile and be honest with people no matter what you need to be honest about so no small ask but you know just yeah Yeah, yeah. a place where it's where it's known that 
doubts, the questions, the gray areas. Don't fall out of no. the circle of acceptability. It's not on the fringes. It's still in this circle. Surely churches should be the place that are most focused on the fact that no matter what, what you're going through, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, it is for you and you are yes. included. Is that not the whole point? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we were all put together and didn't have questions, didn't have doubts, didn't, didn't find ourselves on the, the quote unquote fringes or the edges, mm. then, then there wouldn't be a need for a community such as a church to help us find ourselves and find God and find ourselves in God. I don't think. Yeah. If it was, if it was possible to kind of, and I know some people, you don't have to be go to church if you're a Christian, 100% acknowledge that. But if, sure. if we could all do it, all of us by ourselves, then, yeah, we wouldn't maybe need church. But we do. We need it. Well, I need other people. Um, yep. Some people don't, and that's fine. But I do. I need people to do it with me and push me along sometimes so that I can drag them along at other times. The pieces they're lacking, I can fill in. The pieces I'm lacking, they can fill in. Like a yeah. puzzle. Yeah. What would you, or what is one thing that you would tell somebody who is dealing with doubt? If it was just one thing, I think the headline would be that experiencing doubt doesn't mean you fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's great. I think that is what I would have most needed to hear that would have stopped me spiraling. If I had longer with them, I would follow it up very quickly with, You're not alone. This is really normal and you're totally loved. You're totally included. Let's go and get a cup of tea and have a chat. Yeah. That's great. And it's simple. It, it yeah, should be. It is, it is really simple, but really hard for some people. Yeah. And goes a long way too. It has legs. And final question. I ask every guest on the podcast. The book and the podcast are all about crumpled papers, which are a metaphor for the ideas and beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point along the lines realized we needed to reevaluate, relearn, or unlearn, or, re-gain a new, or get a new perspective of. Um, so my question to you is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn and get a new understanding of? Yes, it's another really, really small topic, but I'd say, I'd say the number one thing would be if I take you back to the very first question you asked me and about my faith background and what went wrong in the first place, that nagging voice I had was, you don't seem to feel it the same way as other people around you. Mm. And it's taken years to kind of think or to realize that I had a very, very narrow view of what Christianity or faith should be expressed as and should look like. I, I'm a very shy very quiet very introverted person and I thought faith had to be loud had to be extroverted and had to be in your face and really assured and I thought that because I didn't express myself like that you know I was never the loud one I was never the one kind of dancing around church or you know praying out at any given moment that I just wasn't quite on the same level as them. And it's taken a long, long time to crumple that up and say, no, you know, 
my gentle, quiet faith is just as valid as that. You don't, I don't need a personality transplant to have genuine mm. faith. People experience and express their faith in a variety of different ways. And we don't need to look the same for it to be real. And again, that is still something I am actively crumpling and, you know, probably will be forever. It is crunching mm-hmm. in my hand every time I'm in <laughs> church thinking, oh, well, I don't seem to feel it like they do. Oh, no, but it's OK. I'm just me. And yeah, it's, yeah. I think that's that's been a really big one for me is just the comparison and giving myself a break from that and saying, no, you can you can find your own way to to feel this it doesn't have to look like someone else's so yeah that's probably one of the biggest pieces of paper that i've come for i think god really appreciates the ones who can be quiet because those are the when we're in the quiet times are the times where we can most easily perceive mm. his voice when there's no noise, no distraction. No, I'm not saying all noise is distraction. I'm saying when we are, find ourselves stripped back a little bit, mm-hmm. he often uses those moments to present himself because we're most ready mm-hmm. and available to, to hear and listen. And um, also, so I, I love that. Yeah. Like if, I, if I were to do anything other than be myself, mm-hmm. I would just be pretending. Right. And... I don't want to live my entire life of faith as a hypocrite. Like I I don't, I've, I've pretended with the doubt for so long that I just can't bear it anymore. So I refuse to do anything that isn't me. Even if that means I stand slightly more awkwardly in church sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to pretend. And I don't think a faith built on pretense is, is really what God's after. God doesn't want a more put together fake version of us. He wants no. the part, the, the authentic version of us. That's maybe a little more fallen apart. Yeah. That's where he knows where we are. Raw we honesty. always will be raw honesty and vulnerability. Yeah. That was the tagline to the doubt girl. Definitely. <laughs> the tagline for the doubt girl. Um, that's all I got. I mean, Kat, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And I think you also get a badge for being, I think, our first international guest, the farthest reaching guest so far. So (laughs) you have that title until I will let you know when it's broken, if it ever is. But right now you have the record. I'm on it. Very on it. (laughs) Guys, go. Where is your book available? On Amazon? Yes. Barnes and Noble. That's a place in the US, isn't it? I think. Oh, yeah. I love Barnes and Noble. I'm not sure it's physically in bookshops in America, but yeah, Amazon. It's on Amazon. Online. If you Google it, it's there. All right. Let's talk about doubt. That's the book, Cat Wordsworth. I will link her Instagram down below, which is chock full of just amazing tidbits from her book and different insights, which is awesome. You're you're getting a little community there, which is really cool. And then I will link down below the link to Amazon to get her book. It's fantastic. Definitely, definitely recommend the book. Cat, thank you for coming on and talking with me. And um, yeah, guys, I will see you next episode. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. 
This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.